This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon. You're listening to Blue Race. Listen to this. This is from their soon-to-be-released album. It's called, this particular track is called Staring Into the Sun. All right. So Richard Salm here. I got Blu-ray. So who do we got in this? We got, the, we got the whole crew. So who's here? Roger Diller is here. Okay. And what do you play? Lead guitar. Okay. Tom Ciancarelli, lead vocals, uh, guitar, keyboards. Right. And Victor? Uh, Victor Mercado, drums and backup vocals. All right. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Um, you know, we're principally here because you're going to be playing at my father's place. Yes. And this is very exciting because this is the new my father's place. So um, we like to think that there was sort of an interruption of business. You know, it stopped. <laughs> Long hiatus. You know, you know, they did that with Dallas. Remember Dallas, the yeah. TV show? <laughs> you know, JR and Bobby and Miss Ellie, you know, they had their thing. And then there was like a 30-year absence and they're back on. <laughs> and Right? So it was all that stuff. Make sure to talk into the mic. All right. That's it. Well. So <laughs> welcome, wel- welcome to you know, our humble studios. And we're so excited. And we're, we're going to play some music. And so, so let's talk about you guys. So you guys principally perform what kind of music and how did you guys get started it's kind of eclectic uh it's i mean it's pop rock i guess you know um uh it started really with rogers guitar sounds and um and uh, we played two different styles of guitar um so roger and i met a long time ago um at uh, a jam session and um the people we were playing with they said oh you know we should start a band and i was like hmm uh, and then they said, no, we should start a band and do original music. And I said, okay, I'm interested. I'll sign on. And um, out of that original group of people, Roger and I stayed together over the years. And uh, and that's the origins of the band. Wow. And then you've been performing ever since. Yes. We have been right. performing ever since. Yeah. Now, I happen to be fortunate enough to have a- albums, if you still call them that. <laughs> we still call them that. Right? Yes. So I have, I have, so there's two albums. Sometimes people still buy them. Yeah, exactly. All right. And... Is World is Ready. That's your yeah. first album. That was our first album. It came out in 2009. All right, cool. And it's got 10 songs on it, and it's, it's a beautiful album. And we'll be playing some cuts from there. And then your follow-up album, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, is this Sky. one. Which is, uh, and this is called Beautiful Sky. Yep. And... Uh, that's all really rec- and it was recorded in Long Island of all places. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of cool. So you're all local Long Island guys. No, Play- uh, not me. No, well, right. where do you? I mean, you, you live in Long Island now. I live up north of Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, close enough. You're still close within the Long Island, Island Metropolitan Avenue right. <laughs> area. <laughs> He's in commuting di- distance. All right. So let's 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 give everybody a great taste of. Um, Something. So, should we play? Should we play Secrets of the World? Sure. All right, let's do that. All right. So, everybody out there, we're going to play a, a song that's going to be, and that's off of our upcoming CD, tentatively titled, uh, or, or the working title anyway, is the Blue Album. All right. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, that was the FM broadcast premiere of that song, was it not? Right. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. So, so wi- wild things happen on this show. So <laughs> I have to ask the, the ultimate question. It's a beautiful song, great harmonies, great, you, great you. musicianship. I mean, it's just a great song. 
if you need an extra guy to play like the spoons or the triangle, you know, I'll I'll volunteer. I'll you know, I'll, I'll I'll put some time aside and I'll jump on the stage with you. <laughs> There is a tambourine on there. <laughs> so there you That's go. That's right. All right. More than one. All right. So how has your music music and your musicianship evolved from from the beginning of your you know, your work as a band to that song that we just played? How is it how has it matured? How has it evolved? What's different? Um, I mean that's an interesting question. I, I'll say this: what's what's funny is we, it's really nice that you played the whole song because we got uh, played on the radio up in in Westchester County, New York, a couple of uh, maybe it was about a year ago now, and um, they uh, played the song. And the guy at the end, he's like, "Wow, that's like the longest song we've ever played on this show." Um, to which you know, I just saw the trailer for the Queen movie, and the guy says, "Well, if you think that six minutes is long, I feel sorry for your wife." But <laughs> um, bum bum bum. You'll see that most of our songs but, are you know over three minutes. Yeah, you know we've <laughs> we've never been good at doing the the four minute uh, pop song. Um, but but you don't need to be. That's the whole point. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, again, we, we appreciate playing it all the way through. That's that. Oh, that looked that. Look, I mean, I have a talk show, but when I have musicians on, you know, I want them to play their music, and I want to share that music with my audience and the truth is my audience loves exploring you know new music with us yeah. and not only that but to hear the people who crafted those songs talk about the either the inspiration or the songwriting or you know I mean when you talk about evolution I'll, I'll say one thing that, that you know I wrote I've been writing my whole life and and one of the great things that happened is um, you know meeting with Roger and Roger comes up with musical ideas you know um, while he's in the bathroom practically like i mean all the time and it's a great thing that he will give me or give us you know a piece of music and then i just make a cd out of it and put it in my car and play it over and over again until i come up with lyrics and a melody and uh and now you know there are a couple songs on the new album that the three of us have written together which is which is great now is it easier or harder to be a, a, a three-way collaboration of songwriters i find it you know, do, is it synergistic or is it kind of too con, too conflict oriented? Because you know they say there's like a lot of cooks and there's only you know so much you know space in the kitchen. <laughs> well, for me, um, I usually I don't write lyrics. I, I write and you don't sing and I don't sing. And I'm sitting here with this microphone in my face, which is strange, anyway. Um, and I are, are you like Jeff Beck? You just kind of go out there without the the mic and I just kind of jam. Say a word. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that like yeah. that? Maybe yeah. I'll say thank you and goodbye and hello. Um, drive home safe. <laughs> yeah, drive home safe, everybody. He has to borrow a microphone. Yeah. Um, but I come up with, you know, I noodle around as they say, and I come up with a little riff or I come up with a progression, and then um, I bring it into the band and I say, check this out. Nine and, out of ten of them are cool. And I hand it over. And Tom, you know, may do a rearrangement of it, and uh, we come back and we have a song. I mean, we do do that, you know, with, with the the factory, the laboratory of of songs. Um, we uh, we change like he'll come in with an idea, and I say, "Wait, okay, but you got to change that." And you know, we'll we'll mangle it and turn it into a blue race thing out of whatever his idea was. But but to have all three of us write together, that's got to happen in in the rehearsal studio. Um, that's got to happen, and that's a magic thing when when we've been able to do that. So, I see it. Uh, I mean, if I can jump no, in, no, please, please. And uh, this is Victor, by the way. Yeah, I see it as a way as like, like when Roger says he's noodling, and he'll come up with just like a a chord riff or a, a progression, and it's just a piece of a thing. There are times when Tom comes in and he has, <clears throat> excuse me, almost an entire song written out. But the thing is, like when we present it, like whether Tom presents it or Roger presents his thing, whatever, to the band, we'll form it out of there. Whether it's almost a complete song, as a lot of times Tom comes up with. Or what Roger comes up with is like, a, you know, how does this sound? How do you like this? You know, I came up with this the other day. And we'll that's when the three of us more or less collaborate into a song. Uh, I mean, there are times where Tom comes in with like a chord progression or a little strum he came up with, and it'll be the same way. But it depends on how it comes in. Sometimes it'll come in as a piece of a thing, or sometimes it'll come in more structured and almost an entire song. And, you know, we'll craft around that, see what works, what doesn't work. Tom will come up with a vocal melody, and then if I see where a vocal backup can come in or a harmony, I'll put one in. So it's uh, depending on who brings it what into the table, it collaborates in different ways. So I have to ask the ultimate question, which is, do songs appear at inconvenient times? In other words, you're you're like, 
about to go into the Midtown Tunnel. You got all of a sudden, you got some kind of thing in your head, and all of a sudden, you got to write it down. You may not have paper, or you may not have a recorder. Uh, Richard, when, when a good song appears, it's never an inconvenient time. <laughs> You you never forget it. I mean, I remember one time driving in my car and I rolled down the window and a song fell into my head. And I had a 45-minute drive ahead of me. And, you know, I didn't have a guitar where I was going. And the next day I sat down and I remembered every bit of If it's good, if it's worth it in the first place, it's never inconvenient. Do, what do you use to capture it? Do you, are you... You know, handheld recorders, do you use your cell phones, do you use paper? Well, now with an iPhone and, you know, you just put on the voice memo thing, yeah, we'll use that. But in, in the past, I just, like, relied on, you know, knocking on my head. Yeah, knocking on his head there. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, sometimes I'll come up with something and I'm too lazy to record it down. <laughs> and then I say, usually I say to myself, if it's good enough, I'll remember it. And sometimes I have forgotten some nifty little little digs that I've yeah. done. But for the most time, I, I, I play it. When I come up with something, I play it a hundred thousand times, and I ingrain it in my head, and I bring it to the band. And and he's brought us a and thousand Tom things. Just comes up with the lyrics, and I am not exaggerating. A thousand things over the years. Wow, yeah. that's really really cool. All right, we're we're gonna. Uh, this is like flying by. In the minute, we only have like a, a minute, but let's maybe talk. Uh, we'll we'll open the next segment with a song. Let's do that. Great. So, what's a song that we should do? You want to do? Um, uh, you know, from uh, Beautiful Sky or yeah, World Is Ready. So we're going to go Beautiful Sky. And, uh, if you want to take something that's extremely different than what you just played, sure. I guess it would be. And now for something completely, completely different. different. <laughs> driving Fate. That would be uh, a which one, which oh, one? Well, Driving Fate's on World Is Ready. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, well, you, we got to hear you play guitar, so sure. All right. Wait, wait. So take it from the. Okay, so this CD. World is ready. Okay, so okay, so when we come back, we will be listening to World is Ready, and I'll just intro uh, the song now. So we're going to take a quick break. So we got Roger, Tom, Victor from Blue Race. They will be playing at my father's place hotel. So if you listen to this in the future, um, they may have already played, but you never know if they'll be back. So just <laughs> keep it locked in, and we'll keep we'll keep all that going. Uh, for now, we're, it's just Richard Solomon with the it's the band called Blue Race. They're on Big Radio Records, and we'll be right back. Isn't it exciting to listen to music on the radio, especially new music from local people? It's really cool. I was just a little side comment. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Jeff Matson, the Dark Star Orchestra, and you're listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Uh, this is a song called Driving Fate. And this is, you're listening to Blue Race. The album is called World Is Ready. Let's listen in for just a little bit, all right?
All right, Richard Solomon. Whoa, little feedback. Whoa, sorry. There you go. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll have Chris figure that one out. <laughs> Chris Maffei, who's our engineer. So, Chris, you may have to clean up that little feedback. Are we just talking about going to communication school? Exactly. All right, so I have, for those who may be just joining, this is Richard Solomon, and you're listening to Taking Care of Business, and I have Blue Race, the band here, and we've been playing tunes and, and talking about music and making, you know, creating songs and songwriting and the evolution of music. Um, and it's just really, really cool. Now, let's talk just a little bit. You have an album coming up. And, and uh, you know, for those who may have seen the WLIR movie called uh, New Wave, Dare to be Different, there's a scene where Joan Jett talks about um, coming from the record pressing of, of I Love Rock and Roll. And instead of going, I guess, taking the master and taking it somewhere else or where it was supposed to go, it went to WLIR where they played it on the radio to the shock and horror of... <laughs> The, you know the production, you know people and 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 stuff like that at the at the, the record label. So in a way, we kind of did that here by by playing your new song before it's actually even been you know put on vinyl or streamed anywhere. We actually featured it here first, so I could actually call Joan Jett and say, "Hey, we're part of the same club." <laughs> of course, we own our masters. Yeah. Well, you know, this is as close as I'm going to get. So let's talk about the new album. Sure. All right. Uh, what's different about it? What do you like about it? Um, what What do you What do you think shows um, a different vision or or side of your music that may not have been shed? You know, the, you know, maybe you're shining your light on a different part of either your musicianship or your lyric lyric writing abilities or, or something right. like that. I'm going to go there. So <laughs> I'm going there. The first two <laughs> records. Um, were, the songwriting duties were split between uh, me and, and Roger and me together and uh, our old bass player who is, is no longer with the band. And so with this third record, everything that was written, um, as we said earlier, was uh, either by Roger and me, um, maybe this one or two songs I wrote by myself, and then a couple that the three of us wrote together in the studio. And um, so, you know, that it's all on us this time um you know if this flies it's because we did a good job if it uh if it tanks you know we have nobody to blame but ourselves well you know you know john f kennedy said you know victory has a million fathers but loss is an orphan <laughs> you know so like when you win the war it's like we did it it's like who lost the war oh it's his fault <laughs> right. well when we're talking about fathers too i mean we got to give a shout out to uh our buds out at cloud nine recording studios out in islip um, we've recorded actually all three records with them, uh, Joe and Jack Napoli, who are effectively our co-producers, who are brothers in arms, and, and you know, they're great. And again, we want to give them a shout out for everything that they've done for us and with us. Now, when you're in the studio, do you get more inspiration in the studio because it's like a lab, or do you get more inspiration at a live venue where you have the energy of an audience, like, like you know, What's the difference? Uh, ah, here we go. Yeah. All right, cool. I'll start there. I have to say live because just like you said, when you're getting a reaction from a live audience, nothing beats that. In the studio, you're by yourself. You're in a controlled environment. There's just us three or us four plus the engineer guys, two other guys. And you know, you're playing a song over and over and over again for how many times until you get it right for ready to record. Whereas live, you get a reaction. You know, Whether it's five people in the audience, 500, 1,000, a reaction can never beat that, and uh, that's where I'll say that on that. Now, would you ever bring friends and family to the studio to get that? No. Uh, no. Oh, no, seriously. You know, look, they have artificial sweeteners, right? That's definitely <laughs> a good idea, but uh, I find I, I agree with Vic that um, I find the studio a little stressful because this really? is for the money. In other words, you know, you're, you're laying down a solo. And that's, you know, you can do it 10, 20 times, but usually it's the first time you do it is the best. And that's going to be forever on recorded. Um, live is magic. You know, live, playing live, if you come up and something happens and it's just, you know, the crowd, the whole idea, the, the energy level is a whole different energy level than when you're in the studio. For me. Okay. Yeah. A lot of tedium in the studio too. Yeah. There really is. Well, because it's real. You're you know. listening to the same thing over and over, and uh, you know, people think, "Oh, this must be so cool." You know, okay, you know, it's like watching the 
the grass grow. Right, yeah. a whole day on one song, you, you're, yeah. You're, yeah. you're fried. <laughs> I mean, but, it's, you know. Well, look, it's no different than being a lawyer and spending three days writing a memo that, you know, will right. only be power skimmed <laughs> by somebody, you know. Absolutely. You know. Um, we kind of touched about this in pre-production, but do you feel pressure that we live in a world now of impatience and soundbiteness to have shorter music or, or, or things not so complex like you, know, you remember how yes used to have albums with songs like you know Very well. uh, we loved it all <laughs> yeah. yeah right you know one, was one it song on the whole album right you know, you know or like the whole side right. would be something like i'm Close trying to, to think of um, like in going for the one um by yes there was like uh, was a topographic what, ocean. right but what was the one there was like a whole thing with organ music it was like done in basel switzerland and, and wakeman did this whole awaken. thing awaken yes right now awaken is like a 22 minute song or something like that yeah and and it's much it's much unlike in a God of Davida, which is like a seventeen minute and two second song. Because I don't know, that's like a raw song. Whereas Awaken is just sort of this whole, yeah, you know, majestic it's song it's with you know the organ. And I actually I actually saw Yes play at Radio City, and Rick Wakeman actually took you know the keyboard at Radio City, and to hear them play Awaken on a keyboard, you know, like you know, like that. That was like I was like blown away. The organ know. over there. Yeah, the organ there is just you know really yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it got that, but, you know, we've gone from that kind of music like Tales from Topographic Oceans and, and Awaken and all these really, you know, concept albums and very, very long. Do you feel that the audiences of today who have their heads buried in their phones and texting and this and that can't really appreciate, you know, longer version music or longer complex music? And is there a pressure on your songwriting or your album creation no. to yield to that? No. Not, not for me, at least. Well, not, everything that we have written, we're not really thinking because our songs, we have one song that's at least eight minutes, over eight. Yeah, you know, I, I just put my head down and do the work, and I really don't pay attention to any of that. I don't think about any of that. I don't try to... I don't think we try to sound like anybody. Maybe we do. People are always going to say, oh, yeah, you sound – they're going to make that comparison because they don't know what else to say. They don't know how else to make sense of it. But and, – and I've always been really terrible when, like, people tell me what to do. Like, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, really? You know. Um, that's the rock star rebellious <laughs> streak that's coming through. I mean, I guess. I guess so. And And so, you know, I don't know if – people can listen to a longer song. I don't, you know, did they tune out when they were listening to a song that was almost six minutes before that you, you played the whole thing? I would like to think that it's a good song and they'd listen through. Who knows? But we're going to do it anyway. All right, cool. All right, so what 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 else is a nice long song that we can do? Um, uh, let's see. We we're, Let's see. On World is Ready, which is we already have in the hopper here, what Put else on, should uh, we play? It's, track three. You are here. Okay, let's do track number three. Why don't you introduce the song... What sure. is? Tell me. Tell us a little bit about the song. Um, I was standing in a shopping mall and I was thinking about a girl and I looked at one of those mall maps and there was a little red arrow and it said, "You are here." And I said, <laughs> "Well, I am, but she's not." And there you go. There you go. All right. So here we go. So you're listening to Blue Race on Taking Care of Business.
You are rocking with Rich Solomon. I, I just, when, when people tell me, do you love radio? I love radio because I get to do things like be with bands like Blue Race, play the music, and, and share it with everybody. So this is great stuff. So we are in the studio, really in the studio with Blue Race, and we'll be back in just a minute. Uh, keep it locked in. You're listening to Taking Care of Business, and I'm with the band. And this is just, just more fun than words can describe. Be right back. Hi, this is Rory Cosgrove, and you're listening to Rich Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Richard Solomon, welcome you back. This is Taking Care of Business. I'm at the band Blue Race. We're at the studios. We're in Studio One today, and we're spinning some tunes, and we're hanging out, and this is just really great stuff. So let's talk a little bit about you know some of the behind-the-scenes things. So I understand there was a great story about money falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, but I'll, I'll tell the story. So we were playing in a – there's a club on Long Island on Beth Page, um, a place called Mr. Beery's, who uh, – there actually is a Mr. Beery, yes, Virginia. And uh, uh, he puts on original music in the club all the time. He's one of the last bastions of original music on Long Island. You know, we could talk about the Long Island music scene for the whole night. But um, so we're in there playing one night. And uh, I guess he was friends with the owner of another club down the street, which happened to be a strip club. And uh, so the owner showed up and he showed up with a couple of his, uh, his girls and we're in the middle of a song and suddenly there was this explosion of dollar bills in my face <laughs> as I'm trying to sing. And, you know, I, maybe I missed a beat, but uh, um, I guess they liked our music because they gave us their tips. So that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there a song in that? <laughs> if there is, we haven't written it yet. You know? <laughs> so, so, that, so that's a great... So, so you guys... No Epi from My Father's Place. Have you have you played at the old My Father's? Has anybody played at the old My Father's Place? Uh, do I have to date myself? Yeah, I, I played. You could have been five years place. old and playing the spoons. That's, right, the I was, that's right. I was five I, with my parents. Um, I, pl- I played there twice with two different bands. I did. Oh, what were the bands? Oh my goodness. Um, um, you know what? I'm not drawing a blank. I think I'm. It's like blocking it because uh, they weren't really necessarily that good, but. Uh, um, uh, we headlined one night and uh, got about as many people in the crowd as the police got in their first time they were there, uh, or the only time they were there, and uh, then played as an opening act for... Ugh, now I am blanking. But, uh, you know, around... Mm, you have to give me dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was fine. I was, what, yeah. what, what, was, what was the vibe like? What was it like to play there? Well, I saw so many great shows there. And to, you know, get up on that stage and it had this tremendous sound system. And, you know, again, and I mean, Epi is, Epi, Epi was cool back then to, to, you know, welcome unknown bands into his club to play on a night that he hadn't programmed. And, um, you know, it, it was the, you know, I grew up on Long Island. It was the coolest place to see music on Long Island for that whole period of time. And the fact that he's, you know, resurrecting it. It's just, I mean, I wish him all the best. I hope it happens the way it did because it, it's great. I'll give you a behind the scenes on my end. I was there today and I saw them take out the sound boards. And I'll tell you, the sound system is killer. It is just, well, great. they have really spent so much time, you know, uh, you know the sound people you know headed by Alex and this whole crew of people and Peter there's all these guys and they have looked at and tested and 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 did you know sound offs where they brought speakers in and they had sort of like you know musicians play the music and listening to the sound system so the sound system is actually custom made for the venue and they know like the spot where to hang it and then uh, Mark Mancini the piano player was there the other day and I heard him uh, play and they were like trying to mic it all up, you know, and they were running that through the sound system. So they are really taking great, great strides to have really crystal clear, beautiful sound. Because, the, you know, the worst thing is, you know, you go to a place like, uh, you know, I don't mention any names, but like, you know, a big kind of, you know, like like the Coliseum, right? Been there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, look, the Coliseum wasn't built for sound. It's one big echo chamber. Right. And, I mean, nothing against the Coliseum, you know, and I've been there and I've seen some, you know, like I saw Van Halen at the Coliseum. And, you know, because, you know, I wanted to and that's great. But I'm sure that when Eddie Van Halen played, if there was a better sound system while we were there, it probably would have been even more of a great experience than, you know, how phenomenal it was. You know, nothing against, nothing, nothing against... You know, the Coliseum, but I, I really wish that they had a 
a better sound system in those days. I mean, you know, but but I can tell you that you know what's nice about my father's place now is that it's small and everybody's got like a great seat and the sound really just really you know it's just perfect we're looking forward to it yeah. you know yeah, so you'll sure have to so you'll have to send me an email you know rich you lied it sucked we're definitely looking forward to it because more to your point where you go to the coliseum or even the garden or any arena like you said, they're not built for music. They're built for basketball, hockey, whatever. Right, right. You know, they're, and they're, there are a few places, like Radio City Music Hall, that's built for... Oh, that's built for sound. The same yeah. thing as like what you guys are doing with my father's place. And I can't wait to hear how we sound after after the fact and while we're up there doing it at the same time. Yep. And I look forward to that because a lot of places we play, it's just, you know, acoustics could be anything. Now, do you, do you guys record all your live performances? Or do you try to record many of them? Yeah. <clears throat> Um, most of them, um, you know, uh, we haven't had any magical nights where we say, oh, you know, wow, you know, we should put this out. But, uh, um, magical moments we've had. Yeah, we've had moments. M- moments, but, you know, but and, not but it's like mostly a archival. Song. Yeah. What's a magical, give me a magical moment. Um, I think there was, we posted it, um, it was just the solo on one of our songs. I think it was oh, yeah. Left to Turn and somebody, I don't know, maybe it was my daughter who was filming and I don't remember. But said, "Wow, that came out good. <laughs> that sounded great." And um, yeah, I can never do it loads. again. But it was, yeah. it was, you know. So sometimes we have these magical little. It's usually tidbits. Roger. <laughs> it's usually so, Roger taking so, a solo. So let's assume you've either recorded something in the studio or you recorded your, one of your concerts. Do you listen to it, and then do you listen to it as you, or do you listen to it as someone else to be critical? How does that work? And, and I know that a lot of people don't necessarily like to listen to themselves, whether they're voice people or musicians. You know, it's like, all right, it's done, move on, you know, or whatever. Um, we're definitely critical on, on what we do. I know. Um, but there's a moment that you say, I'm not going to be able to do that again. It was, as I said, a magical moment. It was like uh, it just came, came out of nowhere. Um, and then you say, that's it. Just leave it alone. And if it came out well and we, it works for the song, I can always listen to it. It's not a problem. But if it's a, you know, something that, ooh, yeah, we'll, we, we'll, we'll get rid of it. If it's especially for a recording, you know, we'll, we'll change that. From the, in the studio, you talk about the cringe moment. You know, you don't want that. Because, again, it's, as Roger said before, it's going to be there forever. So if anybody listens to this over and over again, that, you know, that thing is going to stick out. But yeah, it's like the feedback I had <laughs> in <right>. segment two. <laughs> you just walked in the door. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we are really critical of what we do because we want to be great. You know, whether we are or not or ever reach that, you know, if, you, if you're not trying to do that, then what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this, you know? Yeah, we try to be the best, you know, the best The best we can. blue race we can be. You know. I mean, you're always – I always listen – as a drummer, I'll listen, obviously, to myself, my performance, and then, obviously, I have to listen to the band because I'm part of the band. I'm not just the drummer by himself. And you listen to it, and it's like, oh, that sounded good. And it's like, and, oh, maybe, you know what? That doesn't sound as good. Maybe next time I'll do it this way or whatever, and, or the vocals. Or, uh, you, you listen to everything. I mean, obviously, as and musicians, I, I don't want to speak for every musician, but I want to believe that we're all critical of ourselves when we hear playbacks of what we do, whether it's in the studio or especially live, because live is just like a one-shot deal. You're going out, and those people who are in the audience, more times than not, that's the only time they're going to see you. And obviously, you want to be your best for them. And so you're always listening for playback on that. Where in the studio, like Tom was saying before, it's like it's there forever. So you do it. You take do 20 takes of it just to make it the right one. And, you know, it's just how it is. As musicians are always critical of themselves. What, what is the hardest part about being a drummer in a band? I don't know if there's anything hard about it. Uh, well, <laughs> as a joke, yeah. You never get good pictures of me. Because that's, <laughs> that's a, there's, there's some guy back there. I see arms flailing and sticks going. and But, I, I, you know, that's just a running joke with me in the band. That You know, all the pictures are usually the th- three guys in the front and some guy back there. You see his arm every now and then. A hand with a piece of wood. I, yeah, I don't think there's really anything harder to being a drummer as it is to being a guitar player, singer, or whatever. It's, I'm part of the band, and we're all equally the same. Not only is he a great drummer, but he is uh, one of our secret weapons in terms of doing harmonies, backup vocals that, you know, you listen to some of the stuff on those albums and the parts that he comes up with 
and he comes up with them. We don't tell him, you know, Vic, do this. Um, no, that's one thing about great. the band. We don't. We come in with songs, and we we let the other members come up with the parts. We don't say no. You have to play this, and I want you to play. We don't. We don't do that. We just come in, and Tom could change the whole thing around, and you just hey, it's a song. It's what it's about. It's organic and right, and um, and that's why there's no. It's not an ego-driven band. Nobody's like standing. Oh, I'm going to be the rock star. You're not like. Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey just, you know, going at it. <laughs> it's, it's more like just we we like yourself. What you explained about what you like doing here. I mean, that's what, why we do it. Yep. We're not we're not making money. We're spending money, but we're, we're making we, money. But we, we sell lots of records. Yeah, <laughs> but we enjoy. In fact, there's a truck outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, totally enjoy what we do it's it's just something that i don't think any of us would ever think of giving it up for you know for anything so who are your musical influences who do you who do you guys listen to and, and do, do you what do you listen to before a show or if you listen to anything <laughs> at all well i'll tell you when i was probably as 12 i'm not 13 maybe younger than that the beatles when the beatles came out that was really got me into music and then that's true for a lot of people uh, yeah. yeah and it is um and then one day fm radio came out and murray the k i think it was said mm -hmm. here's this guy from england check it out and the first song they played from hendrix was manic depression wow blew my mind i said what is going on here what is that sound how does he get and so hendrix would be as a guitar player um, would be my main influence, and then it branched out to Jeff Beck. I think is is really now. You know, it's interesting. Paul Rogers does an amazing cover of Manic Depression. He did this thing called the Hendrix set. He plays a bunch of uh, Hendrix yeah. songs, and he plays one of the best versions of Manic Depression. It's just so powerful, and it's just, it's just we don't have enough time to play it. But time, it's you know, okay. So we're all used to hearing this stuff for many, many years, but. When that came out, you never heard anything like that. That was so out there. <laughs> not, not only that, but you know, manic depression is a frustrating mess. I mean, yeah, you don't really like, hear you don't hear uh, lyrics like that even today. Yeah. You know, even with all the touchy feeliness that we've evolved, you know, going forward, express your feelings, use your words, blah blah blah. But nobody says things like that. You don't even see that on a drug commercial, you know, for the pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Surprised they haven't used that for a drug commercial. Being yeah, I'm, I'm sure the <laughs> Hendrix has something to say right. about and that. Pop music is a young people's game, and and I hate that you know we're kind of dating ourselves a little bit. You know, talking about playing the old club and things. But I actually saw Hendrix at Forest Hill Stadium open up for the Monkees. Wow! I was what a billing. Just out of the womb. No, I, I mean I was you really crawling, crawling. I was a kid. My father took us. He got tickets from the company, and yeah. Was that, what was that? What was that concert like? Um, well, okay, I think I was seven. My sister's like 18 months older than me. And, you know, there was another opening act. I think it was Virgil Thompson, the organist. But Hendrix comes out and he's, you know, playing behind his head and he's playing between his legs and he's playing with his teeth. And I turned to my, my sister, who's all of nine, and I was like, you know, what's the deal with this guy? And she turned to me deadpan and she said, well, Tom, that's what rock and roll is like today. <laughs> <laughs> That is a great story. Uh, as far as my influences go, like Roger, the Beatles were my first love. Uh, they'll always be my love. But as the years went on, I mean, they still are my first love, but I'm more of a prog rock guy, like we were talking about Yes before. Yeah. I love the old Yes. I love the uh, the old Pink Floyd, the early Jethro Tull, King Crimson. And then, like, to modernize it to today, a lot of bands that a lot of Americans don't even know, like European prog rock, that's just my influences. But... You know, Rush was a huge influence on me, especially my drumming over the years. But the Beatles were always my first love, and, and not just us here, but, I mean, a lot of musicians throughout the world, throughout history. Have you seen the Rush documentary? Yes, I've seen Because they play that on Showtime a lot. Yes. It's, it's very I, Actually, I was very watching cool. that today. But, it, was on, yeah, it was on this morning, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was, and it's, it was great. And speaking of the Beatles, I don't know if, I mean, I don't want to plug anything else, but uh, the YouTube thing that I, the carpool karaoke that James Corden did with Paul McCartney. If anyone has seen it, or if you haven't seen it, you have to. I mean, it's it made me cry because yeah. I'm sitting there watching and I'm thinking, you know, this was the first band that I loved, and you know, as old as as good as he looks, Paul McCartney, he's not going to be here forever. And 
I'm thinking about that is like well musically he will be you know. musically yeah <laughs> obviously I mean the Beatles music you know, before I was born a lot of all their hits came out and uh they just they were my first love. Yeah, one, one thing that I did on this radio show is I interviewed Kevin Howlett from the BBC. He's the historian and archivist for the the Beatles, and that was just two hours of phenomenal radio. And then I also interviewed a guy uh, who is a uh, Ron Grossmer, who has a Beatles show up in Pauling, New York, and that's that's a really cool thing. So it, we don't have a lot of time yet, but in the little time we have left, well. Just going from Victor over, um, what what was the first forty five you remember buying? Or the first you know album? Uh, albums. Forty five album, either one. Mm. I'll, I'll tell you that the first forty five I remember buying was "Light My Fire by the Doors." Uh, I don't remember the first one, but I know it was. It was definitely Beatles, and it wasn't one of their uh, traditional albums. It was uh, the Blue and the Red '67. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and. I, I since and even on now to CDs I have all their albums obviously but it was it was definitely Beatles I'm sure it was and I think it was one of one of those or both at the same time those red ones right. red and blue ones Tom my my first 45 was Creedence Clearwater's Down on the Corner but it wasn't because of the A side it was because the B side was Fortunate Son ah, which is one of the most kick ass rock songs ever written. And my first album was Abbey Road, and and I played air guitar trying to figure out when she's so heavy I want you ends, <laughs> you know, and never got it. And Roger, Man, what about uh, you? First forty five, I remember buying them at a hardware store. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm immediately when you asked that question, I was saying. That See, I, I don't ask the traditional questions. The uh, what was that one? This is a different kind of show. The, the music store. <laughs> it was really weird. They had a whole section of records in a hardware store. Forty fives. I mean, definitely the Beatles. But I somehow, when you said that, the first thing came to my mind was the polka dot bikini. Which song? Is oh, Eeny Weeny Toka Dot. And I don't know if I did, oh, yeah. but somehow that hit me That's right away. But <laughs> definitely, that was bubblegum pop. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but definitely when the Beatles came out, uh, you know. That's what I was always going through looking for would be a Beatles song. Favorite concerts? We have like a minute, but in 15 seconds, who, who have you seen and who are you blown away by? I was in um, Florence, Italy last summer, and I got to see Radiohead at the Hippodromo in Florence, Italy, and they stopped doing their shows where they said, we're just playing, you know, the latest album and maybe one other song. They, they played a set that was transcendent, and it was a beautiful night in the middle of, you know, Tuscany, I mean. Um, my first show ever, which, uh, speaking before, Rush. It was at the Garden, I believe it was 82 on the Signals Tour. Madison Square Garden, 1250 was the ticket. That's how long ago it was. Wow. But I remember it was the first concert. I was still in high school, and you know I was a big fan, obviously at the time. And just I don't remember too much of the show because it was so long ago now. But the one thing I do remember was Neil Peart's bass drum sounding like cannons, and I'll never forget that. It was just I was blown away by that. Right. So my first concert ever. All right, we have, we're we're out of time. So quick, it's just the Arms concert. Oh, All right. All right. Yep. So it's Richard Solomon, Blue Race, amazing band. Go see them. Go see them live anywhere. We'll be back in a week. Take care. <laughs>